Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Pim Fox, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most important, noteworthy, and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Bloomberg.com. We are broadcasting from the Burden 2017 Real Estate Industry Executive Forum here at Bloomberg World Headquarters. And uh, we are on the 28th floor, Lisa, so we do have a wonderful view north of Manhattan. And uh, if we look very closely, you just might be able to see North America's fourth largest city, which happens to be Toronto. And we have the mayor of Toronto, John Tory, joining us now. Thank you very much for being with us, sir. Thanks. Uh, thank you very much. And from here, I think you could almost see it. I think, I think it's so. It's on a, a, on a clear on a day. day. Well, on a, one of the things that we would see if we go to Toronto, and I want to start there, is um, the diversity of the city of Toronto may not be very well known to those outside of Canada. I'm wondering if you could just speak to that and how that helps the economy of the city. Well, one of the reasons we're here is because there's a lot of things people don't know about Toronto. I think a lot of people, especially even our American friends who come to visit in large numbers, when they get there, they say they didn't realize it was so big. And in fact, it is uh, bigger now than Chicago and and one of the biggest cities in North America. But uh, what's more interesting about that population is 51% of it uh, are people who were not born uh, in the country. And so the city and the region has been built uh, by immigrants. And today we still have a very open immigration policy. Uh, It distinguishes us from lots of countries that are looking more inward and we've done things to help the economy like to create a special uh, talent visa that says if there's somebody really talented you want to bring in especially in tech uh, that we can bring those people in and have that visa issued in two weeks yeah. so that we're you know we're really trying to make sure those kind of smart people can be admitted uh, enthusiastically to Canada because we need them. Mayor Tory, uh, that was incredibly diplomatic, especially given uh, the U.S. and sort of the uh, uproar over immigration policy here. I'm just wondering, given sort of the shift in immigration policy, at least on a rhetoric level, in the U.S., have you seen uh, the immigration numbers increase substantially to Toronto? Well, truthfully, the number of people interested in coming and the number of people coming uh, have increased. And the number of uh, people, for example, like uh, foreign students applying to our universities have, have shot up so dramatically, like 60 percent that uh, in the past, since November, yeah, in the last year and a half or two years. So those are big, big increases. Uh, I, you know, I can't say that we've seen actual numbers of people who have immigrated to the country from the U.S. or from elsewhere. But we have anecdotal examples, too. Like yesterday, at the, we had a bunch of tech companies here, New York and Canadian based. And they were talking about people who had applied for visas here from other countries were having some difficulty and just shifted their gaze to Canada and came to Canada instead because it was faster. So, uh, Mayor Tory, how concerned are you about the high uh, apartment prices and, and housing prices in Toronto, given this influx? Does that sort of present a headwind to growth. We are having to tackle, as all big cities are, with the question of affordability of housing. But I can only say to you that when you talk about high prices, whether it's for um, technological talent, uh, software engineers, AI people, and so on, whether it's for rents in apartments or office rents, um, we are still inexpensive relative, say, to New York. Uh, We were talking this morning about office space, and and, uh, we were asking somebody in some really prime office space we were visiting how much they were paying, and they're saying $70, $75 a foot. Uh, The same number in Toronto in U.S. dollars would be 
be $45 a foot. Uh, wages, we have a study done to show that the wages are 30% lower for the same kind of talent. That's before you take the currency uh, into account. So, um, you know, Toronto is an expensive city relative to much smaller cities, perhaps elsewhere, but it's not expensive relative to American cities, say, that are at the peak of the, tech, of the technology uh, ecosystem like New York City or Silicon Valley. And it's one of the advantages we have, that we can say we have the talent and it actually is cheaper and the rent is cheaper and the general cost of living, including residential accommodation, is getting expensive. And it's a challenge for the people who live there uh, now, but, but relative to some of these other cities we're discussing, still not at the top by any means. We've been discussing taxes in the United States, and one of the debates has to do with the deductibility of mortgage interest doesn't exist in Canada. No. We don't have mortgage interest deductibility, never have. What we do have is a capital gains exemption on the sale of your principal residence. So it's a kind of a trade-off. It's kind of longer-term gain for shorter-term uh, having to pay the tax on, or having to use uh, non-deductible uh, funds to uh, to fund your mortgage. So it's one of those things where there's a lot of trade-offs. Again, I would say to you overall, um, our personal income tax rates are a bit higher, but they include health care. Our corporate tax rates are much lower, but they include healthcare. So when we're able to say About to a 26%, company, twenty six percent, twenty six percent. So when we're taxes. saying to Amazon, you know, when you come here, we didn't send them a check of any or any or a promise of a check for any kind of an incentive to them. We did say to them, however, you are going to save hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars on your healthcare because you don't have to pay it separately. You will pay a lower rate of corporate income tax if you pay tax in Canada, and you will not have to pay for healthcare separately because it's included in, um, you know, the taxes paid by residents. So I think these things all kind of mix and match, but I think overall I'm confident in being able to say it's a, uh, a, a jurisdiction where for businesses looking to invest, it's a lower tax uh, jurisdiction. For individuals, in some cases, a bit higher. And the stuff on mortgage interest deductibility, I think, trades off when you can sell your house uh, for uh, capital gains tax-free, uh, but you, uh, you have to pay uh, mortgage interest in non-deductible dollars. Real quick, what percent chance do you think you have in getting the Amazon headquarters? Yeah, uh, you know, it's like asking people ask me to grade myself in office, and I never do that. I what, don't what know. What kind of car would you be? Better, I would, better yeah, car. Better, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I would just say to you, Lisa, that, that I think we have a formidable bid because we are talent rich, lower cost, uh, a very livable city. And so it's going to depend a lot on the consideration that Amazon gives to whether they are prepared to, to locate outside of the United States. And, uh, you know, we'll see. We're not, uh, you know, we're not uh, popping any champagne corks yet. We're just uh, putting our best bid forward and we'll see what happens. Mayor John Tory, thank you so much for joining us, Mayor John Tory of Toronto, joining us here in our Bloomberg 1130 headquarters. This is Bloomberg. Well, we are broadcasting from the Burden 2017 Real Estate Industry Executive Forum. And one of the panelists on the panel that just concluded was Kathleen McCarthy, Senior Managing Director and Global Chief Operating Officer for the Blackstone Real Estate Group. And she joins us now. Kathleen, your group oversees $111 billion of assets, of real estate assets. And I'm wondering, uh, you've expanded very quickly and with such scale comes certain opportunities, but it also uh, brings some challenges. And I want you to talk about what the challenges are that you've been facing as you've sort of expanded this rapidly. Got it. Thank you, Lisa, for having me. Uh, Very excited to be here. And this was just an amazing panel. I would say we see really just 
benefits of the scale of our business and our global perspective. It allows us to have proprietary access to information to really remain, I think, ahead of what other people can see in the marketplace. And it allows us to be high conviction thematic investors globally. It's also been a great attractor for talent everywhere in the world. Can you speak a little bit about your recent, uh, well, you did some of them last year and some of the acquisitions, but I want to start off with looking at this connection with e-commerce. Sure. That everybody needs a warehouse in order to store all those wonderful brown boxes. And uh, you've made some purchases, I believe, out in the West Coast, uh, in Irvine, for example. I wonder if you could just tell us about that acquisition and then what that means in terms of your strategy. Sure. So uh, e-commerce is definitely impacting the way people shop. And since 2010, we've been the largest, most active investor in logistics assets all around the world, something like 400 million square feet, over 100 different transactions. This was just a a very recent example. We see robust tenant demand like we've never seen before, unprecedented for logistics. And it's increasingly focused on that last mile or the urban locations so that consumers can get goods from retailers in a matter of hours, not days. I I just want to follow up. If I was to go into one of your logistics uh, uh, properties, am I going to see more robots? Am I going to see more artificial intelligence and technology at work inside those buildings? I think certainly the tenants, and particularly the ones that have the most capital and the most scale, like an Amazon, are innovating and investing behind those ideas. But it really is a combination of human capital as well as mechanical capital. Where are you seeing the biggest opportunities right now? Uh, We know that the biggest metropolitan areas have seen uh, the bulk of the money kind of coming into the country from overseas. Uh, Do you think that it's overvalued in places like San Francisco and New York at this point? And are you moving to other places? Sure. So I mentioned logistics as one of our most, uh, our highest conviction themes. I think also innovation cities, places where young, highly educated, creative and technology talent wants to live. So it it is the gateway markets, markets like Seattle, West Los Angeles, New York, Cambridge, and outside of the U.S. It's places like Berlin or Stockholm or Shoreditch in London and Sydney uh, in Asia. And we certainly, I think, are at a more mature point in the cycle. But we're really encouraged by the fact that fundamentals are generally quite positive for real estate in most places. What about rental properties? I know Blackstone was one of the biggest acquirers of uh, home rental uh, properties, and I know that there was some sort well, of... Stuyvesant Town, uh, right? The Peter Cooper Village. Yeah, I mean, and there was some there were some sales, and I'm just wondering, are you at a sort of uh, liquidation period, or do you see that as sort of a longstanding... Sure. So we are really bullish on residential, both rental housing in the form of single family houses and rental housing in more traditional multifamily. And as Pim noted, we are investors in Stytown. It applies in New York City as well as more broadly around the country. I think there are a lot of factors pushing people into rental housing and maybe remaining as renters longer. And so while you will see us sell assets, it's the nature of our opportunistic capital to sell assets once our fix it is done. We continue to have very high conviction around residential investing. Saudi Arabia is in the news for a variety of reasons. Back in May, it was in the news because I believe you won a commitment from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia for, what, a $20 billion 
infrastructure investment fund. Can you give us any details about that? Sure. So uh, Blackstone is in a very unique position um, because uh, of our scale and our depth of experience in the markets. And uh, Saudi Arabia did make a decade-long significant commitment to invest with us in infrastructure. And and can you tell us? Any, I mean, have we, when is this going to? When are we going to see maybe some deals or some specifics? Sure, I I really can't comment on that. Um, one thing that uh, has been sort of a trend is should retail investors be able to go into some of these real estate investments? Um, I know that Blackstone has been trying to open up that opportunity. Uh, how, how should that be structured, given the, the sort of more permanent nature of uh, real estate purchases? Sure. So uh, real estate, I think, pre- presents a compelling investment opportunity for many types of investors. And I think retail investors should have access to that as well. When we're working with retail investors, we're trying to just provide a product that has the same institutional quality, transparency, and fee alignment that we provide to institutional investors. What's your take on the mall uh, industry right now? We note the uh, the recent uh, proposal by Brookfield uh, Property uh, to acquire uh, GGP, uh, General Growth Partners, I think about a $15 billion attempt. Do uh, you think malls are too cheap? I think retail is certainly under pressure. We talked about e-commerce before. That's definitely having an impact. And I can't comment on what GGP is doing specifically. Uh, sorry, what, what Brookfield is doing specifically with GGP. We have been partners with GG, with Brookfield in GGP, in fact. Uh, they own a significant portion of the company. I think it'll just be interesting to see their vision for what to do with the company as a private enterprise. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. I want to thank you very much for being with us. Kathleen McCarthy is the Senior Managing Director and Global Chief Operating Officer of the Blackstone Real Estate Group. Thank you very much for being here and for your participation at the Burden 2017 Real Estate Industry Executive Forum. We are broadcasting live here from Bloomberg World Headquarters. We are broadcasting at the Burden 2017 Real Estate Industry Executive Forum. And here with us, we have Seth Molod, partner and chairman of Burden Real Estate Services, uh, based in New York. Seth, thank you so much for joining us. I want to talk taxes with you. I want to talk about the GOP tax plan and who stands to benefit and who stands to lose in the real estate industry. Uh, Good morning, Lisa. Uh, Pleasure to be here. So, uh, yeah, obviously there's a lot of uh, talk out there. The, the, uh, the, there's been plans floated by both parties and the House and Senate. Uh, the current plan as it exists would, would really uh, – there, there are certain key elements that are really going to hurt probably the coastal states being New York, California, the high-tax states. The, the proposals include, amongst, amongst other things – uh, the elimination of the state income tax deductions, uh, a limitation on mortgage house, uh, you know, uh, mortgage interest, and those are really going to affect the areas where housing costs are high and state taxes are high. So there's a lot of concern about the compression on probably the middle income and upper middle income, uh, you know, population of the coastal states. Uh, there's also a lot of proposals in there about. Uh, the tax rates themselves being reduced, as well as the, uh, you know, there are certain key things like, for example, the talking about limiting the uh, 
the carried interest deduct, the carried interest treatment to uh, where now it's capital gain, and they're talking about making an ordinary income, which is going to dramatically affect the real estate industry and other industries. Um, but the current the, the current proposals now are really geared towards uh, it, it, the people that are really going to feel it the most are probably the people on the coasts and in the high income and high taxed states. New York, New Jersey, California. That's what we're talking about right now. Primarily. Let, let's talk about the industry and, and the uh, commercial real estate industry because the 30% uh, deduction, right? This is the limit. The 30% limit on interest expense deduction. You have any thoughts on this? I mean, do you know anything in terms of where they're leaning in, t- in the in the tax uh, negotiations? Well, on right that? now they're talking about the uh, you're talking about the mortgage interest deduction. Right now, the the limit right now is on a million dollars of indebtedness, right. and they're talking about having that to five hundred thousand dollars of indebtedness, and that is this kind of the sweet spot for a lot of, like I said, probably middle income and upper middle income uh, families. So that is going to have a dramatic impact on the markets, uh, the condo markets here in New York. And when um, you say going to have an effect, this means negative effect. Yeah. <laughs> negative, <laughs> negative effect. Negative effect. You're bad. going to lose deductions, and it's going to make it less affordable to buy uh, condos and houses and other types of real estate that would normally be more affordable. How about lower property depreciation? Yeah, I was I mean, just going to say that. Okay, moving that from, uh, what, 39 years to 25 years? I mean, this is good. This should be good for the commercial real estate well, industry. Well, that, that yeah. accelerates things. There's a lot of rules that are very specific to the real estate industry now regarding depreciation, where it's been accelerated. Uh, a- a- any acceleration of depreciation is a good thing for the real estate industry and makes it easier to uh, pencil out deals and make sure that they're, you know, they, they, the returns are working the, properly. Uh, so that, that's a good thing. Um, I don't know that that's going to have a dramatic impact. The, the, there were regulations passed previously whereby the, the deductions were much more aggressive than they were historically anyway. What would you say, Seth, uh, to people who say that the tax bills as currently crafted seem to really benefit commercial real estate, uh, both because of the uh, depreciation and also because uh, there is a provision that would allow property owners to avoid being taxed on profits from property sales if they reinvest in other real estate while penalizing residential homeowners? Can you weigh in on that? Well, the the I think you're referring to the like kind exchange rules, which are have been in place for many many years, and that fuels a lot of the activity at, in the in the commercial real estate market. So th- there is some talk about repealing that. I don't know how, how how much traction that really has in the market. That would really dramatically impact the commercial real estate market. In, in a negative way. But they're not talking about that right now. No. Well, th- there is some talk about it. It's not actually in the proposal right now, but there, there, is, there is talk about it. Um, you know, on the, on the home market, uh, you still have your, you know, exemptions for uh, principal residence sales. Um, there's talk about limiting that as well. So that would hurt um, you know the the residential markets, but um, does that make sense to you? I mean, I mean, if they want to get economic growth, how does that square with the idea of more jobs, more uh, faster economic growth, stronger economy? How does that reconcile? It doesn't make sense. Uh, the, the The residential multifamily development is is a key driver of the economies of New York and many other major urban centers in in the U.S. 
and curtailing that through tax legislation, it, it doesn't really make much sense. So, no, it doesn't make much sense. However, you know, uh, they, they need to re- you know generate revenues for other things that are that they're looking to pay for. So, something has to give. Uh, listen, we don't feel that that's a place where it should be, but they have to generate revenues in some way. Well done. All right. Well, thanks very much for being with us. Uh, Seth Mullet is the partner and chairman of Burden Real Estate Services. Uh, we are thankful for uh, you hosting us here at the uh, Burden 2017 Real Estate Industry Executive Forum. Our pleasure. Thanks, Pim. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks very much. We are broadcasting uh, from Bloomberg headquarters at the Burden 2017 Real Estate Industry Executive Forum, and we are very lucky to have with us Norman Sterner, founding principal and chief executive officer of MHP Real Estate Services. Uh, Norman, thank you so much for joining us. So when we talk about New York City commercial real estate right now, there are two things that come to mind. One, empty storefronts as a lot of uh, retailers struggle, and two, Hudson Yards and what that will do to Midtown uh, rent properties. I want to start with a second. How concerned are you about Hudson Yards, the development there, and how much it will lower commercial real estate values across New York? I'm not only not concerned, I'm uh, a fan and a a favorite of uh, what they're doing at Hudson Yards. Uh, we have 400 million square feet. If we do not improve 3 to 4% per year to modern state-of-the-art uh, office properties, uh, the, the city will simply dry up, as most of the other cities have. So, but, w- but what happens to the rest of the existing properties that aren't modern? You're, you're making an assumption that uh, the occupancy of Hudson Yards will become only the movement from existing space. Uh, We increase uh, occupancy by people moving into the city. When you look at Amazon right now, they're not moving out of anywhere to move into 8 million new feet. They're looking for new feet. Uh, When you uh, see uh, companies moving from one place to the other, Last month, we signed a 276,000 square foot lease for the city of New York. Um, It's not necessarily moving out of one place to the other, but rather they need more space. Um, uh, We we replaced uh, six smaller, older uh, properties with one brand new, uh, much more efficient property. but it, it's not only Hudson Yards, it's, uh, it's Brookfield, it's Related, it's um, L&L, it's SL Green building 1.6 million square feet on Grand Central. Um, so no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a proponent of uh, taking out some part of the old inventory and uh, building new. The east side rezoning is exactly why that's being done. Uh, most of the smaller, older buildings are 50 to 100 years old. Um, it's hard to convert them to modern office. 
most of them are being converted when they're not being knocked down into residential or hotels. Uh, now, I, I, I don't think it will hurt. Also, it's a different marketplace. Uh, Hudson Yards... Uh, to build today is somewhere between a thousand and twelve hundred dollars a square foot. Um, there's plenty of competition uh, to to that marketplace uh, still in New York. So, I'm a proponent. Could you share with us just a little bit of your own history? Because uh, I understand that you did not start in the real estate business. You started uh, with a seat uh, on the on an exchange, not the New York Stock Exchange, uh, in the mutual fund uh, brokerage industry. But also, you ended up, I believe, owning the building of the New York Stock Exchange on 9-11. So you've kind of been through it all, haven't you? You, you have done your homework. Uh, I started out uh, as an accountant. Um, I was very young. I uh, got into college. I was only 16. So I became an accountant because uh, that was one of the things to do. And it it was by accident that we got into the real estate business. Um, Somebody walked into our office in 1970 when the city was um, on its back and contemplating uh, bankruptcy um, and asked if we would take him out of a contract on West 57th Street. Um, talking about uh, 31 apartments for $70,000. That's not 70 each. That's $70,000 for 31 apartments. Um, so the city changed when, uh, and, and thank goodness for uh, Mayor Koch and uh, Big Mac. Um, but we've been in the office building business now for 48 years. And you're right, on on 9-11, we owned 30 Broad Street, which was the home of uh, the adjunct to the New York Stock Exchange. Um, Some hard times, uh, some difficult times, uh, some really stupid times. Uh, We got a call, uh, okay, we we got a call whether uh, if the Empire State Building fell sideways, it would hit our property at Fifth Avenue and 38th Street. So, you know, Did, glad time. it didn't happen. And we look forward to having you back again because we want to learn much more from you. We do appreciate your time. Norman Sterner is the president and the chief executive of Murray Hill Property Real Estate Services. Thank you very much, sir, and uh, great to have you with us. Looking forward to having you again in the future. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.